is um, actually participating in the marathon today, so send up a prayer for him. He could probably use it right now. Um, but in his absence, we have a guest speaker today. He joins us from Moody Bible College, uh, where he's been teaching for 30 years uh, in their Jewish studies program, and he now serves as academic dean. Um, so we are very lucky to have him with us today. His name is Dr. Rydelnik. Delnick. Um, so a warm welcome to him. And without further ado. Well, it's good to be with you today. Uh, let's see, how many Moody students here? Okay, you, got, you guys know me. Yeah. Wish you didn't, but I know you do. So there we go. Uh, I am glad to be with you. Uh, Bobby, uh, the, your pastor, is one of our great adjunct professors at Moody, and in fact, last year I had to get someone to cover a course for me and in hermeneutics, and he took over for me, and I'm really grateful for Bobby. Uh, of course, uh, the students were like, oh, wow, we're so glad you canceled and got Bobby. They, <laughs> they were really happy about that, so... Anyway, uh, it's good to be with you. How many of you, I know Moody students never listen to Moody Radio, but does anyone ever listen to Moody Radio? There was a few people. Okay, on Saturday mornings I have a radio show. Some people may have heard of it. It's called Open Line. Anyone ever hear of it? Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a program where people call with Bible questions from across America, and that's kind of fun, uh, answering questions over and over and over, the same ones. But... <laughs> No, not always, but a lot of them. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's kind of fun. Uh, I, I used to have a goatee. Now I just have a regular beard because I hate shaving. But anyway, I, I was in a restaurant in uh, a Denny's in Indiana. Someone came up to me, and they said, are you on the radio? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. And uh, they said, the guy looks at his wife and says, see, I told you it was Dave Ramsey. So uh, apparently, Open Line is not reaching as many people as I thought. <laughs> anyway, then he brought a uh, placemat, and he said, can I have your autograph? I said, sure, and I wrote Dave Ramsey, and I gave it to him. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I guess people aren't watching, uh, listening to Open Line as much as I thought they were. Uh, uh, I'm glad to be with you. Today is Simchat Torah. That means the rejoicing of the Torah, the rejoicing of the law. It's sort of an added-on holiday to the festival of Sukkot, which is what I'm here to talk about. Uh, Bobby asked me to teach about Sukkot. So that's what, well, you'll know what Sukkot is in a minute. Sukkot is the Feast of Booths. Have you read about that in the Bible? Tabernacles, booths. Uh, and uh, what we've done is... We have added a festival at the end of it, the Jew, the many, many generations ago, thousands of years ago, the rabbis added a festival called Simchat Torah, the rejoicing of the Torah. And what this does is right after the, this uh, festival season of the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which you're learning about in the book of Leviticus, are you not? Right? I hope you're learning about this or will. Uh, then the Feast of Booths. We, that's when Jewish people finish their cycle of reading the Torah. Because the, through the year, three days a week, 
in the synagogue, we read the Torah. And then uh, we finish it on Simchat Torah and begin anew. And so it's a big celebration of having read through the entire scroll. Uh, and we take out Torah scrolls in the synagogue and we dance with them uh, on the streets, through the synagogue. We circle the synagogue. Uh, that's the tradition. So today is that holiday, Simchat Torah. It's sort of like the, the added-on conclusion to the Feast of Booths, which is a week-long, an eight-day-long holiday. Uh, and yesterday was Shemini Yatzeret, the eighth day, and then uh, but there's these uh, different, it's a, a week-long uh, festival. So that's, that's uh, Jewish people are celebrating. You didn't even know it, right? We're having a big party. Uh, sadly, I have to say, I want to confess something to you. This is not, normally I love to preach and teach, and today is one of those days where I really would have liked not to because of what's happening in Israel. Uh, my parents were both Holocaust survivors. I have no relatives here in the United States. I only have relatives in Israel, and they are under fire. A terrorist group called Hamas has broken into Israel with thousands of fighters. They have killed over 600 people uh, across Israel yesterday. Uh, they went to a party. Uh, they got into, there's a rave party down in the Negev Desert uh, with over 1,000 young people, and terrorists got there and killed about 300 of them. Uh, They've kidnapped numbers, high numbers of people. Uh, and uh, they are now in Gaza, and no one knows uh, exactly how many. Uh, the Arabic media has said 52. That's what Hamas has said. But it looks like there may be very many more children being tortured uh, in, in Gaza right now, uh, young women being raped. Uh, and then also the elderly being beaten. Uh, it is a horrific situation right now in Israel. I called my cousins. I have one cousin that's down in the south where this attack took place. He and his young children and uh, his wife are in a shelter. Uh, they can't go out of their shelter because uh, potentially there's terrorists on their, in their community. Uh, so it's a very serious thing of what's going on, and war is breaking out. And uh, I, I, I don't know if you guys can understand what this is like uh, to, to think of my family being under siege right now. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a very, very sad day. Everyone's been saying, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I've been really thinking about Ecclesiastes 3.8, uh, which says there's a time for peace and a time for war. And this is actually not a time for peace. This is a time for war. And uh, it's going to be a brutal war. And so uh, also a number of my students live in Israel, former students, graduates. And they are, uh, some of them are being called up into the military right now. Uh, and uh, there's going to be some very serious uh, events coming up, uh, battles. So it's, uh, and I'm worried about my students, if you can imagine, uh, going into battle. Because uh, in Israel, once you serve in the army, you have to do reserve duty till you're about 35 or 40. So uh, the reservists are being called up right now. Uh, also, there's uh, one of the more interesting things. Obviously, I'm a Messianic Jew, Jewish person who believes in Jesus. Uh, there are a lot of Messianic Jews that I know, and it's interesting for credibility in that society. Uh, Messianic Jews tend to 
volunteer for the most uh, dangerous army units, and they are now being called up to serve. So uh, I wanted to do this, if, if we can, uh, just pay, pray uh, that uh, th this attack would stop and that uh, God would be honored even in this terrible event. So, uh, and my biggest prayer is when something like this happens, that uh, Israelis would, would look to the God of Israel and even find the Messiah of Israel uh, through this, the Messiah, Jesus. So let's pray. Father, uh, as you know that this is a, uh, a terrible time in Israel right now, and there are still people under siege, there are people who have been kidnapped. Uh, God, I pray that you would allow the Israel Defense Force to bring them uh, relief, that you would allow them to deliver those who have been kidnapped that you would give them the ability to drive the terrorists out of their country. Uh, and Lord, I, I pray uh, that this would be a time for Israel to look to you, that they would see not their own strength, but your strength, that they would look to you for help. And God, I pray that many would even consider Yeshua, Jesus, as their Messiah. God, I pray for protection of those people, of all the people, obviously, but the people I love that I think of every minute. Uh, God, I pray you'd pray that you would uh, protect those soldiers who are uh, going into battle, and I pray you'd protect those people who are under siege right now. Uh, Lord, I just commit them to you and, and ask for you uh, to be their light and their defense. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Sorry to tell you about something so serious, but it is serious. You guys need to know. Uh, here's what I've discovered at teaching at Moody for 30 years. When I ask people about what's going on in the news, things that are really big events, students look at me and go, really? Because uh, they live in the Moody bubble. Never turn on the radio, let alone Moody radio, no radio. Uh, they, don't, uh, they don't know what's going on in the news. They don't even know what a newspaper is or news reports, uh, which I think is actually great when you're a college student to focus on what you're doing there and not worry about everything else, but it is good to know what's going on in the world so that you can pray more effectively. So that's, uh, that's why I wanted to let you know about that. Uh, now, uh, I just want you to know I don't like camping. Never have liked camping. Uh, for Jewish people, a camp out is staying at a Hilton. <laughs> you know, we're not looking to, to go stay. Uh, when I meet uh, my non-Jewish neighbors and they're saying, oh, we're going to go up to the UP and we're going to stay in a tent, I'm like, why would you do that? I th that's so uncomfortable. Uh, and I would just as soon stay at, you know, fancy hotel and uh, eat at a restaurant and not cook on a fire. It's just not me, you know. And I, I'm sure there are some Jewish people that like it, but most don't, honestly. And I really believe that's why God established the festival of Sukkot. Because otherwise he would never get Jews to camp. We Jewish people would never go out to a campground. Uh, and so he established uh, Sukkot. But that's actually, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, there was a Jewish comedian who once said uh, about hunting, he says, Jews don't hunt, we shop. Uh, and the, the truth of it is we don't, we, we, we don't, 
We don't camp. We go to hotels. We, we, we're not like that. Now, Israelis might, but uh, not much either. Uh, so, but there's really a bigger purpose other than just to remind us to stay in a hut or, or a tent or a booth. And that's really what the Feast of Booths is, a, is like. It's a booth with four sides, and uh, it's got some foliage and cross, put across the top, but you have to be able to see the sky through it. And you're supposed to live in it for a week. And think about that, living in it for a week. Uh, in Chicago, that would be cold. You know, it was, it was about 40-something degrees this morning when I woke up. I can't imagine having slept in a booth. Uh, in Israel, they sleep in the booth because it's, it's warm uh, in Israel. But here, we don't. We just eat in the booth. That's, that's our dwelling in the booth. That's how we do it. So uh, what I thought I would do is look at this festival with you. I call it God's yearly campout, Sukkot. And uh, we're going to look at the biblical significance of it, of how the rabbis uh, added to it, uh, and then how it relates to the Gospels, and then how it relates to biblical prophecy. Okay? So that's the, the four steps we're going to look at. Uh, the Torah, the biblical roots, then we're going to look at rabbinic uh, uh, adaptation of it, followed by... The, uh, the Gospels, and how the Gospels relate to this festival. Did you even know the Gospels relate to it? I bet not. And then uh, lastly, uh, prophetic perspective, okay? So, again, I want you to know, I probably would just take a passage and teach it if I were ever asked to speak here again. Probably Bobby will never do that. Uh, but he asked me actually to teach on Sukkot. So uh, I'm, I'm doing it just because I like him. I'm listening to him. I, I thought about just coming here and saying, yeah, forget you. I'm going to teach something else. But <laughs> I didn't do that. Okay, if you have a Bible, the best place to start uh, for this, let's see if this will work now. There we go. Biblical perspective, Leviticus 23, verses 33 through 43. I love it that you are studying the book of Leviticus in, this, uh, in Sunday services. That's like a book that no one ever studies. And one of my happy courses that I've had the privilege of teaching at Moody is the Pentateuch, and I get to teach through all five books of Moses. That's kind of fun for me. So I'm glad that you're learning it here. Uh, as I mentioned, there are three fall feasts. There's the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, we call it now, the New Year, uh, but the Feast of Trumpets. And then after that, there's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And then, if you pick up verses 33 through 43, this is where we have uh, the Feast of, of Booths. It says in verse 33, The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, The festival of booths to the Lord begins on the 15th day of the seventh month and continues for seven days. There is to be a sacred assembly on the first day. You're not to do any daily work. You are to present a fire offering to the Lord for seven days. On the eighth day, you're to hold a sacred assembly. So it's an eight-day holiday. The first day is a, is a day of rest. 
and then the eighth day is a, is a celebration as well, and then there, the rest are intermediate days, if you can follow that. Uh, and then uh, it is the solemn gathering, the eighth day. You're not to do any daily work. These are the Lord's appointed times that you are to proclaim, this is verse 37, as sacred assemblies for presenting the offerings to the Lord, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its designated day. These are in addition to the offerings of the Lord's Sabbath, your gifts, all your vow offerings, all your free will offerings then, uh, that you give to the Lord. Verse 38, 39, you are to celebrate the Lord's festival on the 15th day of the seventh month for seven days after you have gathered the produce of the land there will be complete rest on the first day and a complete rest on the eighth day. On the first day, you're to make products of majestic trees, palm fronds, boughs of leafy trees, willows of the brook, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You're to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord seven days each year. This is a permanent statute for you throughout your generations. You must celebrate it in the seventh month. You're to live in booths for seven days. All the native born of Israel must live in booths so that your generations may know that I made the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared the Lord's appointed times to the Israelites. That's the key passage for starting the festival of booths. That's when Israel received it. So that's a little smaller than I thought. Okay. You've got good eyes, though, in the back. You'll be able to read it. Okay, the significance of uh, this festival, uh, there's two aspects of this festival that you can pick up even from this passage. The first uh, significance, it's an agricultural festival. It's called Chag HaAsif in Hebrew. It means the festival of ingathering. It's a harvest festival. Verse 39 says that right here. It says... Uh, you are to celebrate the Lord's festival on the seventh uh, month, 15th day of the seventh month for seven days, after you have gathered the produce of the land. So it's a harvest festival. When you've gathered the fall harvest in, now you celebrate it. It's a Thanksgiving festival. In point of fact, uh, this is uh, the, the festival that you celebrate before the first rains come of winter. You've gathered your harvest, then the rains will come. Uh, when the Puritans came to America and they had their first harvest in November, what did they do? They had a Thanksgiving celebration. It's because they saw themselves as the new Israel and they thought, well, we've had our harvest, we should do what the Israelites did, we should have a Thanksgiving celebration. And they saw the reason for uh, Thanksgiving as rooted in the Feast of Booths. That's why they did it. And in point of fact, every time we celebrate Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday here in America, right? What we're doing, in a sense, is celebrating this harvest festival. That's where its roots come from. So it's a festival of Thanksgiving for harvest. And then secondly, it's a historical festival. It's Chag HaSukot, the festival of booths. And people are to dwell in huts. It says that in verses 42 and 43. It says you're to live in booths for seven days uh, so that all your generations, verse 43, may know that I made the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
when the exodus happened, they were supposed to live in booths for just a few months and then take the land. Of course, there was a little problem with the spies who didn't want to take the land, remember? And then Israelites followed them, and of course, it ended up someone got the directions wrong and they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Google Maps wasn't working, uh, and there they were, stuck in the wilderness. And for 40 years in the wilderness, the Israelites lived in booths. And what did God do for those 40 years while they lived in booths? He provided everything they needed. He gave them everything. Uh, their shoes didn't wear out. They received manna in the morning every day. Uh, they were able to, uh, even when they asked for meat, they received uh, uh, meat for them. Uh, every day, God provided for them, right? And so what we do is we dwell in booths to remember that even in the wilderness, God provided everything we needed. That's, that's the point of this. Uh, and so when we think this is the significance of the holidays, twofold, thanking God for his provision in the harvest and thanking God for his provision in the past. That's what they, it's a Thanksgiving festival. And how is it observed? The observance is it's one of the three pilgrimage festivals that were required of Israel. Passover, uh, first fruits in the springtime, and then Sukkot or booths in the fall, which was, it's, it's really the culmination of the three festivals. So you would have come for the Feast of Trumpets, feast of, uh, the, the Fast of Yom Kippur, and then the Feast of Booths. Uh, it's, it's one of the three uh, required gatherings. And uh, when, when you come to Jerusalem, where you're supposed to dwell, well, they didn't have hotels. So what would you do? You'd camp out. You'd dwell in tents. That was the idea. Now, of course, we don't always go to Jerusalem. That was one of the three required uh, pilgrimage festivals to Jerusalem. But today, we stay in Chicago, unless we have a, you know, some frequent flyer miles. Then, uh, but we stay in Chicago or wherever we are, and we dwell in booths to remember what God has done. Uh, and then if you read Numbers 29, there's a great deal of sacrifices. Now, this is kind of significant. If you count it up, if you go to Numbers 29 and read the number of sacrifices offered every day, and you counted how many bulls are offered for the people, not all the other animals, but just the bulls, it would count up, they, over the seven days, they would offer 70 bullocks. That's how many sacrifices were offered in the temple, first the tabernacle, when the two temples stood, they would offer 70 bulls. Why is that? Well, the rabbis said it represented the 70 nations of the earth. If you read Genesis, it says that there were 70 nations of the earth that God distinguished between. And those 70 nations of the earth, what the festival of Sukkot is looking forward to the day when all nations of the world, when all people would know the one true God. And so uh, that's what, how the rabbis understood the festival of Sukkot. And they said, look, 70 uh, bullocks for the 70 nations, because one day all nations will know the God of Israel. And so there's this very heavy emphasis on offering sacrifices. Now, what I think is most significant, it's a Thanksgiving festival, right? It's, that's the big deal. It's a Thanksgiving festival. It says 
in Numbers 29, but mainly if you look at a passage where it talks about the three ingathering festivals in Deuteronomy 16. Deuteronomy 16, verses 16 and 17. Now, the three pilgrimage festivals, it says this. Listen to this. Verses 16 and 17, it says, All your males are to appear three times a year before the Lord your God. It mentions the three festivals, one of which is the Festival of Booths. Listen to this. No one is to appear before the Lord empty-handed. Everyone must appear with a gift suited to his means, according to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. When we appear before the Lord in a Thanksgiving festival, how do we express that Thanksgiving? What God says to Israel is, you can't appear before me empty-handed. You have to think about how God has blessed you and uh, uh, give a gift back to the Lord that's suitable for the amount of blessing he has given. I think that sometimes we forget how important it is to give to God out of gratitude. Most of the time when we talk about giving, it's to make you feel guilty. Do you ever find that? Yeah. We can't make the budget. You guys need to start giving, you know, things like that. We're going to turn out the lights. We're going to shut the doors. No heat this winter. That, that, that's not, you can't pay Bobby. You know, that's, that's not really, should, that shouldn't be our motive for giving. Our, the way we are to give is rooted right here in Scripture. It's rooted in gratitude, thanksgiving. Uh, a great preacher of, who's now with the Lord, Haddon Robinson, said, every green dollar we give should have a streak of red because we're thankful for what the Lord has done for us through the Lord Jesus, through his offering for us. Every time we think of giving, it has to be driven by our gratitude to God. Now, this isn't the required gifts. This isn't the, when you look at uh, Deuteronomy 16, it's not talking about uh, the tithes and offerings that, that were required of Israel. This is, in addition, an offering of gratitude. Now, one of the great things about being a New Covenant believer is we are not bound by the tithes required in the book of the law, but rather we are to give sacrificially out of gratitude. Grace giving. Have you heard that expression, grace giving? The word grace, what do you say before a meal? Grace, thanksgiving. That's what it means. Grace doesn't always mean unmerited favor. Sometimes it means thanksgiving. And when we give, it ought to be rooted in thanksgiving. When I was a student, uh, there was a friend of mine, and he, was, he told me what his plans were when he finished Moody. He was going to go into business school, and he was going to be a businessman, and he was going to raise a lot of money and give a lot of money for missions. And I thought, that was great. And he came back from his church uh, one night and said, we have all this faith promises and this is how much we've promised for missions this year. I said, how much did you promise? He said, I'm a student, I can't give. And I said, well, if you don't start now. And he looked at me like, what do you think you are? And I said, well, doesn't you have a job? And he was, uh, he was a little annoyed with me. Then he came back the next day. He said, okay, I've made a faith promise. I'm going to do it. Uh, and I think it's so interesting because I had breakfast with him about two weeks ago. And he showed me a book he wrote on stewardship of our gifts. 
And he said, could you give this to Moody Publishers, see if they'll it's self-published, but he wants to get it published. He says, I've never, ever shifted from what you said to me. If we're thankful to God, and this is when I was a stupid teenager, uh, he says, when we're thankful to God, we give back to God. I think it's one of the most basic principles that we have in Scripture. Uh, Okay, so this is the biblical perspective on the festival of thanks of of Sukkot. Uh, So here we go. How do we apply this passage, these passages about Sukkot? We have to show gratitude for God's provision, and then we give based on gratitude. That's verse 16, uh, Deuteronomy 16 that I just showed you. Okay? That's how we do it. Uh, We express gratitude for God's provision. How do we do that? By giving back to him. Okay. Now, the rabbinic perspective is a little different. There's an emphasis on hospitality. Just as, uh, you know, the patriarchs, Abraham, he sees three angels coming up to see him, the angel of the Lord and two others. What does he do? He invites them in right away. And so what we do at, at Sukkot is we invite people into our booth and we show hospitality just and it's like okay it's just like we're saying yes thank you patriarchs for what you did now we'll invite you in and it's a way of expressing it so the rabbis established the idea of inviting people in Uh, i love it my neighbors they always invite me into their house sometimes for a meal sometimes for a piece of cake but something to eat into their booth even the jewel that we uh go to uh it's kind of cool uh, we go to the kosher jewel. Did you know there's a, a jewel that has three aisles of kosher food, a kosher butcher, <laughs> uh, a kosher bakery, a kosher deli, besides the regular bakery and butcher and, and deli, a kosher fish market. It's very, very strict. They have a rabbi overseeing, make sure everything's kosher. We go to the kosher jewel. There's a large booth, a sukkah, uh, outside of the jewel, and they invite you in to eat something. Uh, a cookie or something, uh, because hospitality is so crucial for celebrating Sukkot. I think that's kind of cool. Uh, and it says in Leviticus 23, you're supposed to take four species of the land. Uh, and so the rabbis have come up with four species. That's in Leviticus 23:40, And the four species represents the harvest. And so what you do is there's one... Uh, that's there. You can see that. It's got, it's called a lulav. Let's see if this will work here. No, it won't. They see the long, thin branches? Uh, the lulav has palm branches, myrtle branches, and willow branches, and they're wrapped together, uh, which is one of the three of the four species that are mentioned in Leviticus 23:40. And then there's the goodly fruit, which the rabbis have determined was a, a citron. It's sort of a, a big lemon, uh, a goodly fruit. Uh, and what, what's done is you take the, the four species, and when you're thanking God for the harvest, you take it and you shake it over your head and below your feet and around you, all around you, during the festival to remind us that God has provided the goodly fruit and the, the, the harvest for the nation. And so we still do this. That's what it looks like. Uh, the lulav and the etrog. That's the, the three of the species, and the fourth is the goodly fruit. We still do it. There's a place around the corner from my house that has, it's, calls it the World Etrog Center. 
it's a little hut. And it's that, that place where you're going to buy that, that goodly fruit, that citron. I always think of, I can't imagine if the world really came here for, to get their etrog, but it's the World Etrog Center. Okay. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to skip this stuff because you don't, don't need to know it. Okay. Uh, the other aspect of the end of the festival, this is more of the stuff than you need to know. I just, you know, going to keep it limited. Uh, Hoshana Rabbah, the great, the great festival, the last day of the feast. And it represents messianic fulfillment. And it's the final day. Uh, you'll see that this comes up in the New Testament. Uh, and on that last day, they offered a water libation when the temple stood. The high priest would take a huge pitcher of water and pour it on top of the altar. Uh, and this is according to uh, Pharisaic direction. Even though the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't get along, and the high priest was a, a Sadducee, and the Pharisees are the ones that came up with this idea, they did it. And they'd pour the water libation on the altar, and it would cover the altar as the waters cover the sea. Because what does it say in the Messianic times? When the Messiah comes, the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so they poured the water on the altar to point to Messianic times, the water libation. And also, of course, it had a representation of rain. God, we just had this harvest. We're thanking God for the rain, praying for the rainy season to come up because Israel needs rain in the winter. And also, there was always this emphasis that the Holy Spirit would be the one that would give the knowledge of the Lord to the whole world. Okay? And then there was the torch ceremony. All the priests and Levites in the temple would take huge torches and march across Jerusalem up the Temple Mount and then circle the Temple Mount with these torches. And the light was so great that the rabbinic literature says that it was so great that hundreds of miles away in Galilee, you could still see the light, the glow, coming from the temple because there were so many torches on the temple. And of course, what does that represent? It represents the Messiah coming and being the light of the world. So the, these are aspects because there was this emphasis that when the Messiah comes, everyone will know him. And Sukkot, why is this tied to Sukkot? Because the word sukkah or sukkot means dwelling or dwellings. Booth, dwelling. But when Messiah comes, what will he do? He will dwell with us, and the whole world will know him. So that's the idea of the sukkah, dwelling. Okay, new covenant perspective. We're moving now. Let's look at uh, John chapter 7. i got to ask you something. How many have never heard of Sukkot before or anything about it? Look at that. It's in the Bible, too. It's just amazing. Okay, John 7, verse 2. It says, The Jewish festival of tabernacles was near. So his brother said to him, Let's leave here and go to Judea so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. Okay? And that's what happens. And then you come to uh, 
John 7:10. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, then he went also went up, not openly but secretly. He didn't make a big public procession, but the Lord Jesus went up secretly. Okay, and then uh, and look at verse 37. On the last and most important day of the festival, that's called Hoshana Rabbah, the great Hosanna. The last and most important day of the festival, when there's a water libation, when there's a torch ceremony. Okay? Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Holy Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been received because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Remember what the, the uh, water represents? It represents the knowledge of the Lord brought by the Holy Spirit. And his followers who would believe in him would one day receive the Spirit. So the Messiah is the one who provides living water representing the Holy Spirit. Now, it says, as the Scripture says, there's a whole bunch of passages that are sort of conflated together. There's no one verse. This is what I would call a summary fulfillment, summarizing a theme in Scripture. Uh, but uh, maybe one of my favorite verses that this is alluding to is in the book of Isaiah, when it says in Isaiah 12, uh, verse uh, two and three. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. For the Lord, my God, is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. You will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. That's probably one of the passages that this is referring to when it says, as the scripture says, when the nation turns and all the nations turn to him, they will draw water from the springs of salvation, have the Holy Spirit. So the second, the Messiah is the light of the world. I want you to take a look at your Bible. Everybody, you have to actually get a Bible out. What a shocking thing. Now, I want you to look at uh, John 7.53. My Bible has a little bracket there. Do you see that? And it goes to 8.11. And... There's a footnote at 8.11 after the bracket, and it says B, and I look down at B at the bottom of my page, and it said manuscripts omit other manuscripts. I would even go say the earliest and best manuscripts omit eight, uh, 7.53 through 8.11, the whole bracketed text. In fact, most New Testament scholars would leave this out of the Gospel of John. That's kind of a serious thing to say. It appears to be, it sounds like, I mean, it's the story of the woman caught in adultery. It sounds real biblical. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? It may be a, a, an early uh, writing about Jesus that later on they said, let's stick it in the Gospel of John so we have it. Uh, or maybe it's from one of the Gospels and it got misplaced over here in the Gospel of John. I don't know. But I do know the earliest and best manuscripts don't have it. And what I think is significant is if we take that out, where is Jesus still at the end of chapter 7? He's still at Hoshana 
Rabbah, the great day of the feast. And what does he say in 8.12? Then Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, why is that significant? The torch festival. What is Jesus saying when he declares himself the one who gives them rivers of living water from their innermost being? What is he saying when he says, I am the light of the world at Hoshana Rabbah? He's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the light of the world. He's declared, he went up secretly, but he gets there, and the last day of the feast, he declares who he is. Isn't that something? And it's, it's right there. And I think it's so interesting. When he says what he does about being the living water, some of the crowd heard these words. They said, this really is the prophet. Others said, that's the prophet foretold in Deuteronomy 18. Others said, no, this is the Messiah. Some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee. And they're having a dispute. Why are they arguing about this? Because they're trying to figure out what is he called. He's saying he's the Messiah. No, that can't be. Really? And they're having that dispute. Uh, because what he is doing by saying uh, that he will give rivers of living water and that he is the light of the world is the Messiah has come. And here I am. I think it, it's a very uh, cool thing that these are great verses, even if you don't know about the torch ceremony or the water libation. But in the context of the water libation and the torch ceremony, now we really get what Jesus is saying. Okay? Okay. Prophetic perspective. Uh, there's one passage in the prophets that talks about the end of days when Messiah comes and establishes his kingdom. Of course, the, the Old Testament kind of pulls those two. They have a suffering Messiah and a reigning Messiah, a kingly Messiah. And in Zechariah 14, it talks about him coming and delivering Israel at the last battle. And uh, that's what we know happens in Revelation 19 when Jesus returns. But in the prophetic perspective, I want you to take a look here at Zechariah 14. If you don't want to learn all this Old Testament, you have to complain to Bobby. I'm sorry. As I said, he asked me to teach this. Okay, Zechariah 14.9. It says, on that day. Well, let's, let's start with verse 8. On that day. This is the day when Messiah comes. Listen to this. Living water will flow out of Jerusalem. Oh, that's where the idea of the water libation comes. Half of it toward the Eastern Sea and half toward the Western Sea. The Western Sea is the Mediterranean. The Eastern Sea is the Dead Sea. In the summer and winter alike, on that day, the Lord will become king over all the earth. The Lord alone and his name alone. Remember what the rabbi said? The 70 nations represents all. All the nations knowing the Lord. The water libation represents all the nations knowing the Lord as the waters covers the sea. The knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth. So it's, it's kind of interesting there. And then verse 16. Then all the survivors from the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the festival of booths. So in the Messianic kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Jesus on this earth, all the nations, it won't be just Israel has to go to Jerusalem, all the nations will have to come up to Jerusalem and worship the king. Uh, why? 
Remember what booths mean? It literally means in Hebrew, dwelling. And of course, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what will happen in the Messianic kingdom? The Lord Jesus will be dwelling with us. God himself, God the Son, dwelling with us and reigning over us. So to remember that, at the Feast of Dwellings, all the nations will have to come up and worship the king. It even says, should any of the families of the earth not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, Lord of hosts, rain won't fall on them. Even Egypt won't get any rain. Uh, apparently they're going to need rain in Egypt in the winter time, and they won't get rain if they don't send their delegation to worship the king. So what is the point of this? Well, Messiah will be dwelling with us, reigning over us in Jerusalem. Gentiles, the Gentile nations who know the Lord, will be required to come up and celebrate in the Messianic kingdom when Jesus is reigning on earth from Jerusalem. And in my opinion, it's one of the reasons why I love to celebrate Sukkot. When I celebrate Sukkot, I'm not just remembering wandering in the wilderness. I'm looking forward to the day when Jesus is dwelling with us reigning over us. So I like to celebrate it. I love to eat in a sukkah uh, because I'm anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus. So uh, this is, next one, this is uh, what, what I think is so crucial about this festival. There are some things that we can take away from this. We need to remember when we worship the Lord, we need to give back out of gratitude. That's something. Secondly, when we worship the Lord, because we are from all the nations, we can anticipate the day when all the nations will worship him. It's a great reminder not just to look back at what he has done for us historically in providing for us, but to uh, anticipate what he will do for us in the future when we will be with him forever. Let's pray together. God, our Father, thank you for the festival of Sukkot and that it's here as a yearly reminder, not just of what you have done for Israel and for us in the past, but also a great reminder that you have not left us as orphans and that the Lord Jesus will return and he will reign over us and be our king and we will serve him forever. We look forward to that, Lord, and thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, amen. If you stand, we're going to close with one last hymn, just a sing of the greatness of our God. <laughs>